Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Try Faster podcast presented by the Fort Worth Tri Club, where we dive into triathlon-specific training and coaching and discuss current triathlon news and races. My name is Michael, and I am joined by my friend and coach, Keith Kotar. How are you doing, Keith? Pretty good, Michael. Uh, in this episode, pretty exciting episode, continuing on with what we talked about in a couple of the prior uh, podcasts. We have 70.3 Worlds coming up uh, in just about a week. So we're going to cover that race, give you the previews, uh, how we see the race might unfold, dark horses, and also pick our podiums. Uh, again, I think we should um, compete on those. So similar points as we've done in the past and see who picks who picks best. So that should be exciting. Um, Keith, you're going to be at that race. So I look forward to hearing a little bit about your prep and race plan. Um, I about a week and a half ago did the Chicago Marathon, so I'm going to talk about um, continuing how the recovery is going uh, and my off-season outlook. We did talk almost a year ago um, how to approach an off-season, how to plan for an off-season. We're not going to go into as much detail um, about that this time, but we are going to give you kind of our own individual approaches to our current off-season. Um, speaking of off-season and recovery, we're going to go through um, Beth method, methods of recovery where Keith and I both invest our dollars. There's a lot of different options out there. Some are better than others. Some are more scientifically proven than others. We're going to tell you what we use. So a lot to cover. Um, St. George is certainly going to be a big topic, but before we dive into the preview and everything on that front, Keith, since you're going to be there, tell us how everything is going on your end, your prep, um, and what you're planning for over the next week heading into the race. So it's been pretty good. Um, I'm finally starting to kind of get into reasonable shape, I think. You know, it's been uh, a year now since I left my job as a teacher, and the training started to kind of pick up just here the last couple months. And so I'm feeling pretty good. I'm not quite where I wanted to be at this point, but um, I'm definitely a lot fitter than last year. So I'm optimistic that it's going to be, you know, a much better day uh, than it was a year ago. Um, but uh, everything's kind of clicking. Swimming is, is going really well. Um, I think I'm probably swimming 10 to 15 seconds per hundred faster than I was this spring. So I'm hoping that that's going to translate on race day. Um, getting it to translate to open water is always kind of the hardest part, uh, but that's coming around. Uh, just like general endurance is pretty good, and it's been a while since since I've probably been in, in really good shape. I think probably since during the shutdown when I had plenty of time to train was the last time I was in good shape, um, and before that was probably 2017. So... Um, I feel like I really haven't actually raced a 70.3 in about five years. I just kind of showed up and, and finished on minimal training. So um, I'm getting closer to the point where I feel like I'm going to race and actually uh, try to be competitive. Um, you know, running is, is pretty good too. Uh, last week I did a, a ride on one day and a run the next day, and I did about an hour and 45 minutes at 70.3 effort one day. Um, and then the next day I did an eight-mile progression run and went, started around 614 and finished at 554 and uh, that was pretty pretty comfortable so um you know i averaged about 601 for the eight miles and it was pretty easy so i feel like it's it's coming back and so that's a good sign um, but the start list for the race finally came out and there's 577 guys in my age group so it is a pretty big pretty big field i think that's bigger than last year so um I was kind of hoping for a top 50. I'm not so sure if that's realistic or not. Maybe top 100 would be um, a more realistic goal, but uh, we'll see. Uh, right now, the weather looks pretty decent. I was worried it was going to be freezing, uh, but it looks like the, the temp, the low for Saturday morning is going to be 43 and the high is 68 as of now. Uh, low wind, one to two miles an hour. So that's... Uh, 40 miles an hour less than it was last year, which is nice. <laughs> uh, so that that's my biggest concern. I think the, the thing I'm trying to figure out right now is if I'm going to put any clothes on or not, you know, if it's in the 40s when I get on the bike. Um, I don't start till a little bit later. I think I'm more than an hour after the first wave goes off. So um, the sun will be up and it might be a little bit warmer, uh, but maybe arm warmers are going to be the way to go just to kind of keep some of the chill chill off um, I'm a little bit afraid to use gloves normally 
in those temperatures, gloves would be a for sure. Um, but with all the ups and downs, I'm a little worried about being slippery on the handlebars if I have gloves on. Um, so I'm going to try to figure that out this week, pick, pick the right pair of gloves that I can put on and be comfortable. Um, but, uh, as far as the race plan goes, I'm, I'm going to try to swim pretty hard and I think I'm going to approach the bike kind of like I did in Lubbock this year and almost treat it like, not like an easy ride, but, but fairly steady and kind of save it for snow Canyon and feel good whenever we get to the big climb. Um, and then just kind of come back into town and then go forward on the run. So probably going to try to underbike, which I don't know if that's possible with that, with the snow Canyon climb. Um, usually you're, you're probably kind of dead coming out of there no matter what. Um, I did make a change. I'm, I've changed my cassette from last year. So I've got one extra gear. I'm going to run an 1127. Um, and so I've been training with that and that's been really interesting because my, my 70.3 gear is actually the 16 and the 16 is what's missing in this 1127. Um, but I feel like with how irregular the course is, I'll probably never actually be in the 16. Um, but what this has done is kind of, I think a lot of my tempo rides lately, it's been good because it's forced me to use the 15. And so I think I've gotten a lot stronger from kind of keeping the cadence, like in the 80, 82 range and pushing the 15 instead of the 16. And so hopefully that's, that's going to be helpful on race day. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's the race plan. Looks like it'll be a wetsuit swim. If not, Ironman will make it a wetsuit swim because of the air temperature. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but I'm um, looking forward to it. Uh, it should be, should be a fun trip. Quick question. Cause that's something I've always been wondering, cause I have no idea, but can you take, um, you said your 11 to 27 is missing the 16. You've been using the 15. Can you take that uh, 16 from your other cassette and drop it into the one you're planning to use for St. George? Are they interchangeable like that or not? I've never tried. You know, I've, that's something that I, I was planning to research after this to try to make a, a cassette that's as customizable as possible. And I'm not really sure. Um, I, I would think that if it's the same type of cassette, it should be able to, to go through because, um, the gaps are all the same when you're, once you get past the first few, um, you know, the gap, the gaps are yeah. all set. So yeah, I would um, think there shouldn't would be any reason. Um, yeah, that'll be something we'll, we'll research that and I'll, I'll find an answer for the next show. <laughs> well, hopefully you're not out there in a week from now wishing you had made that change. Cause I put that idea in your head. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, I, I've gotten pretty comfortable uh, with the with the fifteen, and, and the other part too is, you know, a lot of long course athletes are kind of moving to the lower cadence anyway, um, just because it kind of keeps your heart rate mm -hmm. down, um, and it saves your legs a little bit more for the run. And so I think that it's actually been better for me to not have that gear because I think my cadence is a little bit too high when I'm in that, and so I think that being forced to to push a little bit lower cadence has kind of helped me out. So. I don't know. We should talk about that another time because I know we have a lot of other things to cover, but look at Gustav. That guy runs a really high cadence and his legs seem fine for the run. Um, yeah. So like, does that actually matter or not? I'm not so sure. Um, the other thing I was going to mention, you, you said over biking on that bike course, like having done it twice, I don't think you can over bike it. Like you have to go up snow Canyon hard in some places just to stay upright. But then you also have 15 minutes of downhill where you're going to get a pretty yeah. good recovery before you ever come into town. So like I, having done it twice, I was, I've never been on the run thinking I overbiked it, even though I put in some pretty good efforts, um, never felt that way. So I don't know. That's just my two cents is to, if you are going out to St. George for the first time, feel free to be a little bit more liberal on the bike course than you might've been in on other courses because you will have a pretty good amount of rest before you get to the run. And that helps, that helps bring back, you have time to get calories in. You also have time to rest and recover a little bit. So, yeah. And we should also mention while you are going down on the way back into town, while you're resting and recovering, don't do it in the super tuck, do it with your butt on your saddle. I don't know because the super tuck worked really well for Sam long last year. He never caught up to the group but he cut in and got really close to the, to the lead group because of how he was taking that downhill. He was pedaling really hard and then going into the super talk. So 
different strategies okay, there. And the are, super tuck's not if, illegal if you are at racing triathlon. It's illegal in, on a UCI race, um, okay. but not... If you're an elite cyclist, maybe. Yeah. But if you're an age grouper that barely knows how to ride your time trial bike, please don't do the super tuck. Okay, that's true. If I see someone in the super tuck, I get a little nervous. But it, yeah. might, be, it might be the fastest option. It, it probably is. Um, I saw a guy definitely almost die from being in the super tuck last year he went past me on one of those curves and got dangerously close to the edge of the road yeah um, so be careful going back down it is very fast even without going in the super tuck yeah i mean you're gonna go 45 50 miles an hour so it's fun but yeah. it's fast you'll be grabbing the handlebars pretty tight yeah so uh michael do you want to tell us kind of how your recovery is going and, and what your off season looks like yeah so um Recovery is going really well. Immediately after the race, I started having a lot of like plantar fascia tightness, pain, and kind of both feet, but mostly the left foot, interestingly enough, like one more than the other. And I've had plantar fascia, um, plantar fasciitis in the past, um, but it's been a long time. I've, I've, I've gotten really good at recovery. I've gotten really good at managing and knowing when things are coming on, but this just came on, boom, right after the marathon. Which makes sense. Long race, longest race I've ever done. Also, the longest time I've ever run in carbon-soled shoes. I use the Nike Alpha Flies, and like the question in my head after this race is: This like a shoe issue or a foot issue? And having had plantar fascia issues in the past, I have no idea which one it is. But I will say it certainly has gotten me thinking. Like I want to try some different carbon-plated shoes because. Um, it's the only ones I've ever wore have been Nike and uh, never had any issues up to this point wearing every single version of their quote unquote super shoes. But I do want to try something else because it's not fun when you have plantar fascia pain. Um, it's gone away at like, it took about 10 days for the pain to really subside. I feel good now. Um, and it's almost, we're almost two weeks out um, from the Chicago marathon. So speaking to my off season plans, Hey, I'm kind of taking two weeks off almost entirely. Um, there have been a couple easy bike rides. I have jumped back on Zwift. So if you are in Zwift, um, follow me. Let's race together. I have a lot of fun on there. And it's just really a cool way to, to I guess, spend the winter miles because it's hard to get outdoors here in Illinois in the winter. Um, but what else do I do in the off season? Um, you know, I do want to get back into racing or excuse me, training soon. So next week. So Keith, we should talk about that and kind of start putting the plans back together of, of getting me back into shape. But, um, the off season for me, how I approach things are, it's just a really good time to, Hey, there's no racing. Your key a race is done to start to focus on other parts of your life, right? Start focusing more on your family start getting those errands or chores that around the house that you haven't got done that you need to get done and that's really what i've been focused on over the past couple weeks and that's been great knowing i'm going to be back on the bike and doing some bike workouts um, i've also used that time to clean up my bike so i've cleaned and waxed three chains and three cassettes um, wow. which are it's really easy to do like but what i have learned so one of those was my gravel bike which i haven't I've never waxed that chain. It's always been just a wet lube. Um, but wet lube on the dirt, on the gravel, creates like the most ridiculous grind to clean off of a chain in a cassette. So that's something that I didn't realize how difficult that was going to be. My road bike and my triathlon bike, I took those chains off. I've also cleaned those, waxed them. Those are just so much easier to clean because you don't get as much dirt and grime. So uh, I think, though, the wax for the... Um, the wax for the gravel bike is definitely the way to go because I'm hoping the wax will help keep that dirt and grime from building up on on the chain in the future. And hopefully I don't have so much of an issue with it. So um, for me, though, jumping back in, Keith, like I said, I want to start getting back to training next week. So a two week off season. And again, like I know we mentioned, we have a full episode about how to plan for your own off season. But in my mind, I'm already starting to think about the future goals and you really need your off season can be one week. It could be two weeks. It could be three months. I've done both. Um, for me, I have some big goals next year and I really want to align my off season with those future goals. So big goals next year. I mean, I can't take three months off at the end of this year. I'd lose too much. I want to start building for those. 
So yeah, that's that how I'm approaching great. it. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to get back into get back into the swing of things. I guess. Hey, I signed up for the Chicago Marathon again next year. I should tell you that. So that's already on the oh, that's already oh, on man. the dock. We'll talk about goals. We'll talk about our race planning for 2023 another day. But that one is on the docket. All right. I guess we'll have to get some early triathlons in. I I, I absolutely plan to. So, are you already thinking about your off season, or is like the focus all just St. George right now? No, I've I've already started to think about it. Um, kind of like I said before, like I wasn't, uh, I'm not quite as fit as I wanted to be, and so um, I'm definitely not like training through St. George or anything like that. But um, I have started to kind of look past St. George a little bit um, because I do want to run a fast marathon this winter. Um, it's already been almost four years since I ran my first marathon and I haven't run one since then, um, except in training. So I haven't actually raced a marathon since that. Um, and I do want to try to go under 235, and so I'm trying to kind of gear the training a little bit. I kind of bumped up the running volume and, and I'm trying to move in, in that direction too. So, uh, because coming out of St. George, I'm only going to have, I think 11 weeks, and so it's going to be a quick turnaround. Uh, I'm planning to run the Louisiana Marathon in January. Oh. Okay. Wow. That, that is a quick turnaround. You should sign up for Chicago too. Yeah. I'm plan. Well, that's the other part is I'm planning on doing Ironman Waco next year. And so uh, I'll probably, that, that, that probably won't quite fit. Uh, but we'll see. Ironman Waco was last weekend and, and uh, they're really, I don't about, know why you want to do that. <laughs> Yeah, I know Waco's not the the greatest place, but it's close and yeah, it's convenient to I think for the first Ironman. So uh, that's the plan right now is uh, winter marathon, and then um, I'm planning on some halves kind of in the spring and summer. I'd like to take a good shot at going. I'd like to say under four, but I think at least like maybe getting under four oh five at uh, somewhere fast like Galveston or Lubbock, and then. Uh, starting to train for Ironman after that. So that's kind of what the, the off season looks like for me. Well, you're like talking off season and plans for 2020. I think we need to, we need to talk more about 2023 and our because I have a lot I want to cover how, what, how and why we're picking those races. Um, I think that that's a big one. Clearly though, all of this racing, all this training leads to a big need for recovery. And I think both of us, we both, have similar approaches to recovery, um, but also different in the way that we, or technology, different technologies that we utilize or where we invest our dollars. So we're going to go through, um, the best methods of recovery where we individually invest our own money, uh, to get the most out of ourselves and our training. So Keith, do you kind of, maybe you can kind of run us through the different types of recovery that we see out there and also give like, Hey, are these like scientifically backed or are these just feel good? Okay. Yeah. And uh, a shout out to Seth in Fort Worth for our, for uh, giving us this question to, to talk about. Um, and so kind of the way that he had phrased it was like, if you were trying to invest your money in recovery, like where, where's the best place to, to put those dollars? Um, so I compiled a list of a few things and I guess, you know, if you're, if you're listening and there's something we left off, let us know. Um, but, uh, I made a list that was massage, uh, chiropractic care, uh, cryotherapy, a massage gun, a recovery boot arm system like Normatec, a foam roller, ice bath and dry needling. Um, and so kind of just going through those, um, Massage, I think, is probably the best one, but I don't know that it's the best as far as bang for your buck, just because uh, massage therapy is so expensive. Um, generally speaking, you know, if you can find someone, maybe if you're really good, you can find a massage therapist to sponsor you. Uh, that would be the best. Um, but for me, like when I was racing pro, it was it was a pretty regular thing. Um, right now, it's like massage therapy is probably out of my, my personal price range. Um, but I think the best thing is definitely massage. If you can find a good massage therapist that, that you really like, um, I would say stick with them, you know, try a couple different places, but find somebody that kind of has a sports science knowledge, um, 
but then stick with the same person. You know, I went, I went to the same woman for three or four years in college and, you know, it was definitely nice because she was able to figure out like all the same spots. Uh, and then after college, I've gone to the same guy, uh, since then. And they kind of get to know like where you have issues and things like that. And so, you know, where to spend time, um, and work things out. And so I think that's, uh, that's definitely the best, but it is the most expensive. Um, Michael, do you, do you go for massage up in Chicago? Absolutely not. Um, like, I guess it's kind of two things. One, recovery has to fit within your own time constraints, right? And massage is like, I'm going to go take an hour out of my day for the massage, plus getting there, going home. I don't have that time. Like, recovery has to fit into what you're doing. It has to be convenient. I think it also has to be cost-effective. And for me, massage hits zero of those three buckets. It's effective. I've had sports massages. It feels good. And even a non-sports massage feels good. Um, I don't, I don't, I've never been able to tie it to, oh, I feel like I'm recovering better. I, I feel like it ties more toward the it feels good side of things. So, no, I don't put my money in the massage bucket myself personally. But, every, you know, all the pros do it. It must be worth something. Yeah. Um. I think looking at our list here, the thing that I would suggest that's probably the best value would be to get a massage gun. Um, and I think that if you're able to go ahead and get one of the more popular brands and make, make sure you get a high quality massage gun. Um, you know, I've heard there's, there are some other brands out there that are a little bit lower quality and I've heard some people having issues either with, warranties or the motor burns up or things like that. Um, but I think the massage gun is probably the best value cause you can kind of hit everything almost like a massage and you know, it's, it's three massages generally, right? Cost wise, two or three massages, um, worth of dollars, but you can use it all the time. You can use it every day, um, for a few minutes, hit the places you need to. And so I think the massage gun is probably the best value. Um, and then going from there, I think if you could spend the money on it, the, th the next thing that is the best is to get some sort of recovery boot system like, like Normatec. Um, obviously, the drawback here is it's extremely expensive. Um, and then also, if you want it beyond your legs, you have to buy other attachments and things like that. But I have a, an off-brand, very old set of recovery boots, and it's great but you kind of need to, it's kind of the, the time thing too. You need to make sure that you're spending time either, you know, while you're working or at nighttime, uh, you have to dedicate the time to not be able to move, which I think is, is one of the, the harder parts with that. Um, but I think it is the best recovery over the massage gun. Um, but the difference between the two is you can kind of get acute locations taken care of with the gun, but the recovery system is, more of a broad recovery. Um, and then yeah. the other I, thing that's on here. Go ahead. I, I'd love to just throw it out there for the massage gun. Like I haven't used any of the cheaper ones, but again, like if, if cost is of an issue for 50 bucks, I think you can buy those things on Amazon. Like that's pretty cheap. That's cost effective. So give it a go. Like even if it burns out, you can buy like six or eight of them before for the price of some of those big name brand ones. Um, so I almost think it's worth a shot. I have one of the bigger name brand ones. I bought it super early on before all those cheap China knockoffs came out. And I use it still to this day. Um, it's probably one of my favorite pieces of recovery tool that I currently have. I don't have like the recovery boots or you know the compression items that you're talking about. Um, so I can't really speak to the feel or effect of those. Yeah. And, and, uh, compression, like you said, I think that another alternative to something like recovery boots would just be to get a good pair of compression tights and you can wear them around. Um, in Texas, it's kind of hard to wear them around all the time because it's so hot, but, uh, some good compression tights are nice. They're also nice for traveling when you're in the car or on the airplane. Um, so that works, that works well too. Um, as far as uh, some of the other things, so like cold stuff, so like cryotherapy or taking an ice bath, I've tried some cryo a few times. I was able to get um, 
think it was like through a race or something, you were able to get a few sessions and it was really cheap. I didn't really feel any different after the cryotherapy. Uh, Michael, have you ever done that? No, I've never done cryo. I've done like ice baths when I've had like a gym membership where they've, they've had an ice bath and that's cool. But again, like I think people, I don't know, we have so many different things to go through here. Maybe we should, I should have started with this. Here's my take because we're talking about 18 different recovery methods. The most important thing you need to do, you have to do is rest. Like if you're stacking yes, hard sleep. workout on hard workout on hard workout, you will burn out. You will be injured. You will not be able to do what you want to do as an athlete. Like you have to rest. You have to sleep. You also have to make sure you're not doing too many hard workouts. Any combination or failure in those and your recovery is going to suffer significantly. So that's the first and right. most important thing. The second to that is eating well. If you eat like crap, if you're not getting the right carbs to fuel your workouts, if you're not getting the carbs to recover from your workouts and the protein to build, you will not be able to recover and get faster. The most important thing you need to do is make sure you're doing the first two items first, and that's sleep and nutrition. Do those before you really start to explore any of these other items here. So cryo, I didn't really feel a difference. Um, ice bath. I think a lot of the things with ice bath is it does help with recovery and you can get some quick recovery out of it, but you also don't have the natural muscular repair effect either. So it kind of accelerates you through that adaptation. And so, um, ice baths are something I've generally tried to stay away from for most of my athletes. Um, I know that like high schoolers, they really like it cause usually it's accessible in the training room. You can easily go get an ice bath, something like that. Um, so lots of times, like for our cross country athletes, we would only ice bath like the week of our championship meets, you know, when basically the adaptation part is over and we're just trying to make sure everybody's legs feel good. Uh, we might do a couple emergency ice baths in the last 10 to 14 days or something like that. Um, because it does help with recovery. So if you get down to the nitty gritty and you're like a week out or less from your race and you're like, man, my legs feel really bad an ice bath might be the way to go. Um, on the opposite side of it, maybe an Epsom salt bath would be better. Um, a warm bath, dump a bunch of Epsom salt in there and see if that kind of releases some toxins and your legs feel a little bit better after that. Um, and then the last couple things we had on here uh, kind of go together, and that's a chiropractor and, and dry needling. Um, I've personally never been able to stomach having dry needling done to me. I've watched some other people do it. Um I've heard that it feels good and it creates release. Um, but again, that's, I think that's in the kind of the same area as massage that both dry needling and chiropractor can be fairly expensive unless you've got, um, you know, some sort of condition that maybe your insurance covers it. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have two, uh, chiropractic sponsors, one in college and one after, and I went on a regular basis. And personally, I never really felt a difference. It, I'd kind of feel good for a few minutes after, but then everything would kind of just settle back in place. And so for me, the chiropractor wasn't useful. Um, I think if you've got, you know, something that needs correcting, then it's definitely, um, worthwhile. You know, if you have some sort of spinal thing that needs, needs correction. Um, but like, even for me, I've got a pars fracture and the chiropractor didn't really help any of that. It kind of loosened things up, but again, loosens things up for a day. And if it costs you $40, that might not be the best economic use. But if you do have access to a chiropractor and you, you know, have some sort of bone or joint discomfort, then it's probably, probably worthwhile. Um, and then the very last thing on our list is the foam roller. And that is definitely worthwhile. I think you go for, uh, for the money invested, get a foam roller, you can hit a lot of spots, um, either a foam roller in combination with like a tennis ball, maybe, or a lacrosse ball. And you can do a lot of the things that we talked about. It's a little bit harder maybe than applying the massage gun, but I think they're both useful, useful methods of, of recovery. Yeah. Right. Foam roller, massage gun are the only two in this, um, list. Again, I'm not trying to be like dismissive sleep well, eat well, use a massage gun, use the foam roller. Uh, I mean, if you're chasing podium spots, go for it. But 
I don't know. I feel like people are, it's always easy to seek out, hey, this one, this ice bath is going to make me faster. If it makes you think that way, then go for it. But I just have a hard time buying it. All right. So now uh, we're going to roll into a St. George preview. Yeah, let's do it. This is awesome. Back to back to back. Big races coming up. Um, St. George, here's a question before we jump into things. I haven't looked at the course. Is the course the same as last year? So it looks like the run is different. The swim and the bike appear to be the same. Um, I'm going to pull the course map up right now just to to make sure. The, uh, the swim looks like it's more or less exactly the same. Um, the bike course also appears to be the same. Um, as far as I can tell, I'm looking at the map. Um, but the run, they made it very easy compared to last year. And, Do they uh, have to go down that steep, steep incline? So That was the hardest part for me. I, I can't really tell looking at the map. And that's something that I'm going to scope out once we get there. It's still a two-loop run, but it does not look like it's the same run um but they cut out more than 500 feet of climbing and so well, looking that, at that the sweet looking at the profile i don't think the steep downhill is is included anymore so that's good because that was just I, I don't feel like that that was like it was too too long of a steep downhill that either you're good at it or you're bad at it and it can drastically impact your race yeah. Um, I, I was very much looking forward to the old course because I thought that the hard run gave me, uh, a much better chance to, to place well, but, um, unfortunately it looks like it's fairly easy. It, it looks like you've got basically your, it's similar to last year in that you're going to climb the first three miles and then kind of come back in. But last year it was about four miles and then you had the steep downhill and you made up all the climbing in a couple in the last couple miles of the loop. Um, but yeah, that's to me, I think that's the only difference on the course. Yeah. Okay. That'll be interesting to see. Um, let's start with the women. I'm frankly more excited for the women's race than the men's race because it looks like we just have more racers, more people showing up, some fresh legs, also some big names that were out in Kona. So I'm excited for the women's race and most notably Taylor Nitt. Yeah, for sure. I'm uh, I'm excited to see her back. Uh, I think we had mentioned it on the last show that she had picked up a bronze medal at uh, Cagliari in the World Triathlon Championship Series. So, um, and then of course, you know, her performance at the PTO uh, race here in Texas. So she's in good shape, and we have to assume that she's probably getting in better shape, right? The the longer she has to train after that running injury, yeah. it's almost like we could put her in the dark horse column because she doesn't normally race long distance, but she has to be a favorite. If not the favorite, I, I have her at the top spot of my podium. Ooh, I don't know. Um, I think there's a good chance that she's up there. I don't know if she's going to pull out the win. Um, uh, I kind of like Lucy Charles and I kind of like Paula Finley coming up. Um, who, there's there's still a lot of people on this list. I mean, Holly Lawrence is going to be there, uh, Emma Pallant, uh, Ruth Assel, Tamara Jewett. So it kind of depends on how this swim goes and, and if anybody's able to break it up on the bike because there are a lot of really strong runners um, in this group yeah, too. I mean, who are the, there's the two strongest bikers are probably Lucy and Taylor. Right. They're both going to swim really fast. Well, mostly Charles Barkley is going to swim the fastest. Taylor Nim's not going to be far behind her. And if she might even be on her feet, um, potentially. So for me, the, the course one, two is going to be locked up by the time they come in to town from snow Canyon. That's how I see this race unfolding. The race beyond that still very exciting for the podium, the race for third. Um, yeah, I think some of the, a lot of the names you just mentioned will be in that conversation. Yeah, I think uh, I think we'll see the two of them get away, and then it's just going to come down to, to if anybody can can maybe bridge the gap or have a, a crazy run. 
Um, but that's probably pretty unlikely. So yeah, I think the two of them probably stay away. Um, but Paula is a good swimmer. Um, I just, I don't know if she's that good that she can come out with them and then no, be able to bridge. I out. don't think so. I think she'll be in that second group. She is an incredible biker, obviously the Canadian time trial champion. I also don't think though, she's as strong of a biker as those two. So I think she could very well be third coming off snow Canyon into the, into the descent. Um, what'll be interesting to me will be like, I think it'll be the two up front off the, um, off the front, Lucy and Taylor, maybe we're surprised and there's someone else sticking there with them. But that next group on the road, are they going to have that same pack dynamic that we saw in Kona? Cause I think there's a lot of women that could be in that second pack. I think the up and the down create a lot more opportunity though, the Hills elevation in St. George. So maybe we don't see that. Maybe people use the power early on. They separate themselves. They don't want to be part of that pack and risk getting hit with uh, a penalty. That'll be the dynamic I'm interested to see on the bike. Yeah, for sure. Cause it's, it's pretty irregular. Um, it's the bike there's kind of funny where I, as I feel like the first 35 miles or so, there's some good hills and it's, but it's never really hard and it's still pretty fast all the way until you get to snow Canyon. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, if any of the, the ups or the downs kind of break it up too much. Yeah, but I do, I do like Paula at least getting on the podium this time. All right. Are we picking the same podium? Well, almost the same I think podium. So. I think so. Okay. So I'm going uh, Taylor Nip because I, I, I think she's just that good. And I, I hate to say it, but Lucy's going to get a second place again. Um, she's not going to be able to defend her title. And then I have Paula coming in third. I think that though is my. That is my lead. I'm I'm really confident on the top two. Um, Paula has had some good races. She's also had some misses this year, though. So Emma Pallant, uh, Emma Pallant Brown, um, Holly Lawrence, Flora Duffy, uh, Imogen Simmons. I think there's a lot of athletes that will be with her. Um, and if Paula doesn't have a good race, then she could slip to fourth, fifth, or sixth even. So um, that that race for third is going to be contested. Yeah, and, and I think uh, I, I would favor Paula for third just because it's going to be cool, and she seems to do pretty well in the cooler races, and so I think that, that she'll be fine. Too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, I guess for some context here, uh, Taylor ran 33.01 for 10K at uh, Cagliari a couple weeks ago, so the run speed is there. Um, so I think I am she going to do agree it with your podium. She's probably going to win, and and Lucy's no, going to get you second. You already picked. You already picked. So. We got to have a different pick here. We got so let's just make it Taylor versus Lucy. Um, yeah, we got to have different picks so that we can head to head, or we got to go to fourth and fifth. Maybe Lucy can drop her on the bike. Zero chance. <laughs> I know there's no chance. <laughs> I think it'll be the other uh, way around. Yeah, Taylor, Taylor's been on a. She was on a podcast and she said that during her running entry, she was putting in uh, over 20 hours a week on the bike. She's just she's a, she's a special athlete <laughs> that I can't wait to see do more long course stuff, which I've already said. All right, 2029. Unfortunately, Ironman World Champion 2029. She'll do it when she wants to. All right. All right, let's switch to the yeah. men. I'm less excited here because I feel like so many of the big names that were in Kona are not showing up. The two most notable, uh, Gustav Eden, uh, Christian Blumenfeld. We also have Magnus Ditlev here. Um, but let me look. Rudy Von Berg is on the list. Frederick Funk. That's pretty. Uh, he was. I'm, I'm trying to pull out the people that were in Kona. That's pretty much it that were in Kona. Oh yeah. Um, yes, Ben Canute is on the yeah, list. There's not a. Not I'm a not list. excited. I don't. Kyle Smith was in Kona. Oh yeah, he was in Kona. Right? Yeah, he was in Kona. Uh, I'm not excited about. Uh... Yeah, he DNF, so he's fresh. Oh, did he? <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, Clement Mignon was in Flo It was in Kona too, and he had a a really good day. Yeah, I'm just. He ended up. Uh, I want to say he was in the top. I think 10. the top. Three, four positions, though, are going to be the big hitters that, that just performed really well in Kona. Right. I mean, how do you pick against, like, the yeah. only person, well, that I really feel that is a podium contender, I guess there's two or three, beyond those big favorites. You have Sam Long, 
Jackson Landry. And you could throw Ben Canute in there. Possibly. Uh, I don't I don't feel like Ben is having that. I would great love of to year. see Ben Canute get on I don't the podium. Think he just hasn't he hasn't done that great this year. No, it, it he's kinda had a little bit of a year where he just hasn't quite been around uh, where you would expect, but you know, this is a course that I feel like suits his strengths. You know, if he can have a good swim, the only the only drawback, of course, is the wetsuit swim, which kind of will keep everything bunched together. Um, but if he can go out and be in the front, maybe get a couple guys to work with, he can stay away for a while and at least hold some people off like he did in, when he got on the podium in 2017. Um, but... But he's probably my favorite to be top American. I I think looking at other no, than Sam, got, I think Sam, like Sam is solely focused on this race. I mean, obviously Ben Canute has focused at this distance for quite a while, um, or shorter. But for me, it's Sam Long is the favorite on the American side. I think he could be on the podium, but it's gonna. I think I'm gonna almost confident it's gonna be a, a similar podium pick that I had in Kona. It'll just be attrition to see where they land. That's Gustav. Christian second, and then Ditlev third. That's my, my same pick in Kona. Is my same pick here. That's kind of miraculous, right? When you think about it, that some of the favorites, at least in yeah. my eyes, and probably a lot of other people's eyes, whether that's the order you have them in or not, is the same in Kona as it is at seventy point three worlds. It's just crazy. Like these people are so diverse in their ability to race different distances, and then do them less than a month apart. It's wild. Yeah. Um, man, I, I actually, I think I'm going to flip my Kona picks on this one and I think Christian's going to win. Why do you think he has, maybe that's not a smart choice because Gustav, yeah, I think with the easier run and the fact that he's got a little bit more speed on the run, that maybe his superior short course ability is going to, to suit him on this running course uh, more than because it's, yeah. a, I mean, it's half, you know, half is more like an Olympic than it is like a full. Um, and so we haven't really gotten to see them do a 70.3 against each other recently. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go okay. ahead and, and not match your pick and I'll say Christian Who for do the you win have third and Gustav for second. Man, that that's the tough part. Because I I think Sam could be on Ditlev's heels. Yeah, like, I mean Sam. Um, yeah, you know if Jackson Landry comes out with like the Oceanside performance, he could be competing there too. Uh, Rudy von Berg could be competing there. Another USA hopeful. So like yeah, that that's tough. Fun. I think uh, I mean Magnus got Sam at the U.S. Open, um, but of course Magnus is coming off Kona, and that's that's the hard thing I think to kind of know where these guys are coming from. Hmm. Um, as far as recovery goes. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and say Ben Canute for third. <laughs> Just because I want him to get third. All right. All right. Um, but I think. Uh, All right. I'll go ahead and say Sam. I, I'm going to take back Ditlev. You're right. Even though I know my top two picks were in Kona. I'm going to I'm gonna throw Sam Long in at third. Because he's just been so focused on this race. He did. He's always done well in St. George. So Sam Long. All right, yeah, and I'll take Ben Canute. There's going to be an American on the podium, for sure. Yeah. That'd be cool. I'd love to see Ben Canute on the podium. I just don't think he's had the year to actually believe that yet. But prove us wrong, Ben. Prove us wrong. Um, or maybe Jason West, if we're if we're looking for another American. You know, he's he's been uh, he's had a really good year at seventy point three. Can't hang. But it's uh, yeah, but he can't hang on the bike. He's not gonna yeah, be there. Probably not, but you never know. Not with not with the people that push. Not once they once they start pushing it. No. Yeah. But I think he could run through the field and have himself a good result, yeah. but not be with the front guys. I wish we were gonna see uh, Colton Colin Chartier out there. Yeah, I would too. Why not? Where's he at? I don't know. I guess recovering from Kona still probably, which is a reasonable yeah. answer. What about uh, going way off off the radar? What if um, the top three are all Norwegian and Casper Stornis gets third? Casper is uh, um, he's their buddy. Um, he's a short he's a short course, course guy. Right? guy. He was eleventh at the Olympics last year. Um, 
he's not really done a whole lot at 70.3, but he did win 70.3 Nice last year. Uh, he was a DNF at the U.S. Open, but who wasn't? And so, you know, maybe uh, he has gone 333 for 70.3, which is smoking fast. Well, he could be there, honestly. He could be uh, there. He just hasn't raced a lot yeah. of long course. So. And and Trevor Foley, he's newer in triathlon, right? Yeah. He and he, what, what race did he just win? He won Waco last weekend. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Waco, tough conditions. He used to be a cross-country uh, collegiate runner, so he's got a leg speed. Um, probably a little early for him, but definitely a talent that's coming up. Yeah, we'll see if he can uh, hang out of the swim. That's the, the hardest part for him. Yeah. But he is quick. He ran 111 in Waco. Um, the course isn't as hard as it used to be, but it's definitely not easy. And uh, it was dumping rain on the bike, and it was a tough day. So it was a good race for him. Yeah. All right. Um, so I think the last thing we maybe wanted to touch on was the uh, the PTO World Rankings after Kona and kind of what effect that the race had on on the overall World Rankings. Uh, what's what's yeah. your take on that? Honestly, I don't have them open in front of me, but I did look at them earlier. Um, on the men's side, right, we still have the Alistair Brownlee is like still somehow too high. Uh, we also see, I believe, Christian ahead of Gustav, which is ridiculous. Like he just won, just beat him in a head-to-head Ironman World Championships. And it, I guess all of this, though, comes down to how the PTO puts everything together. Because they rank and evenly weight the best three performances over the past 12 or is it 18 months? Don't recall. I think it's down to 12 months. Um, and there has to be something more said about one key championship races where everyone shows up. And I know like competition factors play into that, but championship races should count more. And they have like, I know they have X plus 20% bonuses. It's not enough um, if Gustav is still somehow below Christian. And then, yeah, I, I guess secondly, evaluate the head-to-head, like have a manual review, like visually. We just saw it. We just saw it. Gustav was better. Yeah. Um, so I think I think there needs to be points, computers, models, might get you 90% there, but there needs to be some level of secondary review to help put this into a better place. That's my take. Yeah, I think it would, it would be nice if the races... If the races had set points, I know we've talked about that before, um, like the old Ironman system. Um, but I mean, if you look at Gustav and Christian, I know that Gustav wasn't able to race the Ironman World Championship in the spring. Um, but he and Christian have had two head-to-heads in major races at the Canadian Open and then Kona. And Gustav got him both times. And he's still behind. Um, and then, like you mentioned, with Brownlee being ranked number seven and... His races are Ironman Sweden, 70.3 Swansea, and 70.3 California. And somehow that's enough to get him up into to number seven. Um, I mean, I think that if there's one good thing that might come from this, then that's you will get more pros racing some of those mid to small tier price purse races because they want to have bigger or better points from a PTO because that's like that's a payday. They're not getting the payday from Ironman racing those, but they're probably, I mean, if I'm a professional, I'm looking at this list. That's what, I, that's what my takeaway is. I got to go do some of these mid to small tier races. I'm going to get points that might factor in. If I don't have good key races or big key championship races, I'll still at the end of the year, have a good PTO ranking. Play the system a little bit. Right. And it's, it's confusing because you don't really know in the end what's going to happen um, until way uh, after race more. And, and then, you know, just your three best count. If you need to pull out and drop, who cares, right? Right. Unfortunate truth. Yeah. And if you look at like the best scores of the year, you know, on the women's side, um, four of the top 10 are non-world championship scores. Like third is Ann Haug's win at Roth. And then fourth is Laura Phillip at Ironman Hamburg. And so I think it's just kind of interesting that, you know, races that aren't super significant, Right, are in it, and they end up having like the biggest influence on the on the world rankings. Mm-hmm. But, so PTO, yeah, 
reach out to us. We'll help you fix your rankings. Yeah, for sure. We'll, uh, you know, and, and if they just had tiers, you know, like, uh, like world triathlon does, maybe that would be the way to go. That was kind of how the old Ironman system was where there are different levels of races. Um, and then you can kind of have a development system, you know, the younger, newer guys that maybe aren't as fast can go to 70.3s that are worth less points and there's less prize money kind of work their way up. Just like, uh, just like world triathlon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I suspect that we'll see news, hopefully both from Ironman and from the PTO this off season. That's, that's the most we can hope for. Yeah. They need to address rankings. They need to address drafting and penalties. And if they did both of those, I'd be happy. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Do both of those. Yeah. Then we'll have, have a little bit more clarity. Yeah. All, All right. right. Well, Keith, good luck at 70.3 worlds. Thank you. I expect to see a St. George PR and a, and a top 50. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. It better be a PR with how easy the run is. And the fact that, uh, I'm not going to take a break on the bike like I did last year in the storm. So <laughs> yeah, that was funny. I remember coming by and we're like, you're all right. Did you fall off the bike? Cause I just about nearly did. Yeah. I didn't fall off, but I saw three other people fall off and, uh, yeah, this wheel was a bad idea that day. Yeah. But this year, one mile, you know, it's going to be one mile an hour wind until I get on the bike course. And then it's it's going to go crazy. Yeah. Now, or it's going to be completely calm until you get right to the base of Snow Canyon and it's going to just rip down the canyon. Yeah. Right in your face. Yeah. That's I'm, I'm expecting it. So. All right. Cool. Let me know how everything goes out there. I'll be tracking you. So good luck. Thank Have you. Have fun. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll be back uh, to recap the race after uh, sometime early, first week of November, I guess. Yeah. We'll, we'll cover that and we'll continue talking more about our own off seasons, where our training is going and what's next. All right. Thanks, Michael. So, thanks for listening. Thanks everyone for listening. Bye everybody.